You're listening to the Just Means Less ACC podcast with your hosts, Micah from Fifth Quarter ACC and Dan from ACC Content. Dan, I know we're a day or two behind on this review than normal. Our schedules didn't line up between me traveling and you know, you've got your uh, wonderful baseball career that you're taking off right now. So I know we're, I'm glad we're able to meet here on this Monday afternoon. Gave us, at least gave me some time to digest some of the games that I did not watch this weekend. Watched all the condensed games last night and even rewatched some of them this morning. But what a weird week in the ACC. Uh, we kind of learned that there are some pretty bad teams in this conference. And we've learned that some of the teams I know personally, Georgia Tech is one of them that I was kind of excited about after week one. They have lost all of that excitement for me uh, now. So, I mean, there's a lot to digest, but how you doing, Dan? I'm doing well, and that is perfectly put. Like, there are – there's not really a big middle of the conference right now. Everybody looks either really good or really bad. Like, I guess Louisville hang, hung in there against Pitt. I'd put them in the middle. I guess Virginia taking care of Duke, I'd put them in the middle. But, I mean, like, this Saturday really confirmed it. Most of the teams are just looking really good or really bad. Yeah, I mean, it's just – it's crazy to think about, you know, what we saw with this wonderful ACC slate. But I think we should just kind of dive right into it. We'll go with the game that technically could be interchangeable but did kick off first because, you know, Georgia Tech and Syracuse was delayed for some COVID reasons, which was interesting. But we'll dive right into the only ranked-on-ranked matchup in the conference with 24th-ranked Louisville battling out 21st-ranked Pitt and what was – much more low scoring than I think either one of us expected. I know speaking on my behalf, it was definitely more low scoring than I expected, but you know, that obviously benefited Pitt and it kind of proved that, you know, Pitt's defense really can slow down the best of everybody. Um, you know, that game ended of course, very scary with Malik Cunningham, you know, leaving the field, not really on his own power at the end of the game there. And of course, you know, Tutu Atwell got banged up as, I've seen probably the most 2020 thing where he runs out of the end zone and falls on top of tarp seats, which go right into his back. So what a weird game that was. But, you know, Pitt pulled out a 23-20 to 20 victory. And I, I, I was honestly impressed with Louisville's defense. I think they really took a step forward. I know it's Pitt's offense who has a history of being fairly stagnant. But, you know, I really do think that Louisville's offense – or defense, excuse me, made some – Um, adjustments from that terrible performance they had in week two against Miami. And after seeing kind of what Miami's defense did or offense did against Florida State's defense, makes me feel a little bit better about Louisville's defense per se. So I think overall, I mean, not where I think we both had Pitt winning here, so not a shocker. But, you know, what are your thoughts, Dan, on this three-point victory for the Panthers? Yeah, so Louisville, um, you know, yes, I did expect them to lose, but it's quite a disappointing way to start a season with that had a lot of promise. Um, you want you want them to win one of these games against Miami and Pitt, and they lost they um, lost both of them. So a one and two start, we thought they were going to be one of the, I guess, second tier teams in the conference, and that was just not ideal for that. But um, Pitt, they got it done the way you'd expect: dominant defense and a touch of offense. Um, They held Louisville at 223 yards, seven sacks, three turnovers. And um, so that's just a really – I mean, Louisville's a high-powered offense. That's a really impressive job there. Pitt's defense 
um, as advertised. They're pretty much going to do that to everyone. Um, I was actually impressed a little bit with Vincent Davis. He had only 47 yards rushing, but he thought he showed a lot of bursts, and he looked pretty impressive. Um, and then, of course, there's Jordan Addison, who's really on the cusp of, be of becoming a star receiver. Another big day. He seems like that offense's main target, even Tysier Mack is back, but Addison was targeted much more. He needs to fix some drop issues, but I think that's something he could work on. Um, and then there's Kenny Pickett. Like, it, he was just anything you'd want out of him at this point. You're going to get what you're going to get. A solid day passing. I think he's progressed past the point of being a game manager. Not big numbers, but he got it done. So, I mean, I'll speak to Louisville in a little bit. But as for Pitt, just a solid performance, something to build off of. Um, and, you know, there are teams that are looking really good. But I think Pitt is continuing to take care of business and showing that they're right there with them. Yeah, no, I think I mean, well, I think I think it's well put. We'll we'll get to Louisville here in a minute, but some of the takeaways I took away, you know, from you know, Pitt's offense, especially nine of nineteen on third down, definitely a you know a solid mark. You know, it's a little below fifty percent, but for Pitt, you know, that that is pretty huge. They'll need to continue to have that that decent efficiency moving forward. Also, three hundred and sixty-five yards of total offense. I mean, granted, and only you know, and led to twenty-three total points, but Definitely was great to kind of see them, you know, move the ball fairly well. Um, you know, you would hope they would eclipse four or 500 to really be super, you know, energetic about this offense moving forward with how Louisville's defense has looked. But overall, it looks pretty good there. Um, red zone efficiency for both teams, but for Pitt in this case, you know, needs to improve one of three in the red zone, which is less than ideal. But you know, they need to be kind of careful protecting the football. I mean, they only had two turnovers, one fumble, one interception, but they did fumble the ball three times. Thankfully, only one actually was recovered by Louisville. But, I mean, overall, I think Pitt's offense was as advertised. And, I mean, Dan, I'm curious your thoughts. I think Pitt, has, in my opinion, has solidified as the best defense in the ACC, and I'm including Clemson in this conversation. I think when you're playing Louisville, if, if, if the only time they beat you big is on one rushing play, I'd call that a win. So, honestly, I'm impressed with Pitt's defense. I think that they are, you know, a true contender for that, that ACC championship game. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, in terms of them being the best defense in the conference, I mean, I wouldn't say it solidified, but I, I definitely think it's a very true possibility. Um, it's definitely either them or Clemson. I don't think there's a third contender for that. And, you know, I think at some point somebody will – find a way to take advantage of their aggressiveness. But as of now, they're just really good, really stacked all around. But, um, yeah, moving on to Louisville, their offensive line, I think, was really what held them back today. I mean, they were just dominated by a really strong pit pass rush. So it's kind of hard to say um, which you could really attest it to, whether it was the pit defensive line or the Louisville offensive line, because Pitt kind of does that to everybody. But, um you never wanted to give up seven sacks and Malik Cunningham, not very good. He missed Atwell several times deep down the field. And then of course you talked about that drop that Atwell had after like four missed throws on that same drive. Then he finally hit Atwell in the end zone. And of course he banged into the wall and into the seats and he was banged up a little bit, but just, just a tough day all around for the Louisville offense. Um, 
obviously, more importantly, we hope both of them, Cunningham and Atwell, are healthy for their next game. But um, just a little bit underwhelming start for Louisville. Yeah, so building off of that, you know, you said obviously underwhelming start. I would agree. I mean, I don't think we expected Louisville to be one and two at this point. But I am curious. I personally think that I've gotten what I've expected from Louisville and that they've just ran into two teams that have been better than advertised. I think both Miami and Pitt have just been better teams than what you and I, and especially myself, thought going into the season. And I think that, you know, Louisville has – you know, been, again, like as advertised, in my opinion, they were, you know, a little, I even mentioned it, you know, my most overrated team going into the year, our preseason accolades was Louisville for me, just because I thought teams would be a little bit more prepared for them this year, where last year, they kind of caught some teams sleeping, and that they were a good, you know, middle of the pack, seven and five, eight and four kind of ACC team, and I think that's kind of what we've gotten, we've, they've played, in my opinion, two of the top four teams in the conference, we'll talk about power rankings later, but they kind of ran into a brick wall these first couple of weeks. And I think that, you know, they, the, the Miami game, they still kind of played a little bit under, under what I expected, but I think against Pitt, I mean, they, they did exactly what I thought and they just, you know, Pitt was just the better team. So that's kind of my opinion on that, but I'm kind of curious if you think that there's maybe some red flags with Louisville or if it's more of, like I said, they kind of ran into two teams that were just better than advertised, especially going into the season. Well, Two of their next three games, they have a bye week are against Georgia Tech and Florida State, and I think they – I'm pretty confident that they take care of both. But I just – I mean, yes, they lost to two very good teams, but I think that that pit loss was worse than the score said. I think their offense kind of got exposed a little bit. They were completely dominated in the yardage um, category and a few fluky kind of plays – made it closer than it was. So I thought that, you know, Pitt was kind of neck and neck with these teams, with Pitt, of course, and Miami, who I didn't expect to be this good, but let's say we knew Miami was going to be this good. I would still expect Louisville to be neck and neck with them, and I think they're just a little bit of a step behind. I mean, it's not a drastic disappointment like Florida State. That is just hugely disappointing. We expected them to be middle of the pack at least, and they were just – probably bottom of the conference, but I definitely think that Louisville is um, a little bit of a step down than what at least I thought, but I guess I got to say you did a nice job there um, having them as your most overrated team in the conference because, you know, seems like you're spot on so far. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't. I remember when we talked about that on that preview pod. You know, I said that you know they were the most overrated, and again, I didn't mean it as in they weren't a good football team, but just kind of what we've seen. You know, they're not they're not a top five team in the conference, and as of right now, they've kind of proven that. So, I mean, like you said, they got a bye week to regroup and get healthy. Hopefully, everything looks good for Cunningham and, and Atwell. As like you said, they got banged up uh, against Pitt, and. I mean, I would like to assume they should come out and hope and make a statement against Georgia Tech. We'll see. Georgia Tech's going to want a statement game two on a Friday night, so that'll be an interesting game to kind of talk about, you know, when we get to that in a couple weeks for a preview. But, yeah, I think, I think honestly, Pitt has just been absolutely phenomenal. I, I kind of regret not being a little, bit, a little bit higher on them in the preseason. I was on that train until I started getting more people telling me to be on the train, then I bought all, uh, sold my stock in them, and now I'm looking like a, a fool. So. Credit to Pitt. I think he did a great job. Any final thoughts on this game, or shall we move on to 
probably the most shocking outcome of the weekend um, with Georgia Tech and Syracuse. Yeah, I've kind of said it all. It's, um, I guess, move on to this. Yeah, not what we expected, especially, you know, in the score and in the final outcome who ended up winning this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to, you know, brag a little bit. I did tell you I, I had a bad gut feeling that Syracuse was going to win this football game. Of course, I did not predict them to win, so I can't be saying, oh, I had this one. I was so right, spot on. But I just saw something with Georgia Tech in week two against UCF that just alarmed me with giving up big plays and really just not – I wouldn't say lacking discipline, but just very sloppy. And it's continued. I mean, even week one, you know, I remember when everyone was so excited about their win over Florida State. And I took it with some confidence. But even then, I was still very pessimistic just with everything I saw from how for basically Florida State let them win that game. It wasn't that Georgia Tech went in there and just put a beating on Florida State. I mean, Florida State gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And credit to Syracuse this week. They really didn't give them that many opportunities. They did once or twice, and Georgia Tech took advantage. But, you know, Tommy DeVito looks much better. Um, credit to the offensive line for Syracuse. I mean, they didn't do a great job. Well, they did a lot better job than they had done the last few weeks. You know, we talked about it. We thought Georgia Tech's pass rush was around the same level as UNC. But, you know, they protected DeVito a lot better. I was kind of shocked to see DeVito actually be the starter. But, Credit to Dino Babers. Of course, he knows kind of what to expect from his guys. And, and DeVito kind of rewarded him for it. 13 of 24, 494 yards, average of eight-point yards an attempt, and two touchdowns. So, and surprisingly enough, he was only sacked one time, <laughs> which considering where Syracuse has been over the last few weeks, that is pretty darn good. So what are your thoughts on this, Dan? Is it more of a, an alarm for Georgia Tech, or is it, you know, maybe Syracuse is just not as bad as we thought. Because if you look at it, you know, Syracuse played Pitt close, who's a top four team in the conference. They played UNC close, who's a top four to five team in the conference. So, I mean, really, it's not like they've been, you know, going out there getting shelled by, you know, lower tier teams. They've been playing ranked teams and playing them reasonably close. Yeah, I think um, what we learned is that Syracuse is not – one of the worst teams in the conference. They're they're still in that bottomish range, but I think they're a little bit better than what we thought. I think Georgia Tech is not quite there yet. Um, I like Jeff Sims. I think he has a lot of potential, but they just they need more development. Um, I was also surprised that Tommy DeVito was a starter. I was actually listening to um, the Locked On Syracuse podcast, and um, they had. They had a couple of former quarterbacks on there, and they were saying he thinks that the team will play much better if not Tommy DeVito was the guy. Um, what's his name, the backup? Culpepper. Culpepper, Rex Culpepper, yeah. They, he was saying that Rex Culpepper should be it. So I was kind of surprised to see DeVito. But, yeah, he played a nice game. Um, the emergence of Sean Tucker in a run game was huge because without their two top backs, Syracuse had absolutely – no run gain whatsoever in the first couple of games, but all of a sudden 114 yards and two touchdowns come from Sean Tucker, so he should be the guy. And what Syracuse has been doing, they've been bringing out the sloppiness of another team. Um, Pitt and 
UNC not particularly sloppy teams, but they made them look pretty bad. And now you're having Georgia Tech in there who is a particularly sloppy team, and they just completely expose them. So yet the credit to the Syracuse defense. They're really frustrating offenses in each of these first three games. Like I expected, their secondary has been great, probably the best part of their team. And they didn't even have Andre Sisco, but Trill Williams and Rob Hanna really stepped it up. So, um, yeah, you got to give some credit to Syracuse at um, first glance, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I personally think that this solidifies Georgia Tech's just not there yet. That they're going to be a good year for them as if they can get into a bowl. Because I really just – I'm not sold. I mean, Jeff Sims is the quarterback of the future. I'm not trying to be all super negative here about Georgia Tech. But I didn't like what I saw watching. I didn't watch any of this game live, so I went back and watched it, you know, like I said, yesterday evening. I didn't like what I saw from Georgia Tech at all. Very, very sloppy. You know, offensively, they outgained Syracuse by 100 yards. So that offense is still moving the ball, but they just can't put up points. I mean, two of four in the red zone, that's actually an improvement from last week. But 104 yards and penalties, five turnovers, and that doesn't even include the potential of the fumble that was lost that looked like it was going to be picked up by Syracuse, but thankfully Georgia Tech fell on it. But I don't have much more to say on this game. I think that, you know, I, I was glad to see that Syracuse is not dead. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway is just the fact that, you know, Syracuse is not going to be the worst team in the country. You know, we were talking about it last week. Like, is Syracuse the worst team? Because Liberty, I mean, is not a cakewalk win. So it's almost like, is Syracuse even going to win a game? And, of course, you know, they did win a game. So that's good to see that, you know, Dino Babers got some confidence in this team. And they've got a bye week as well before a pretty big matchup with Duke, which – both those teams need to win. Duke needs it more than Syracuse does now, which is, again, a, a crazy thing to think about. Yeah. Um, I think one of these teams had to win. Um, I don't think either of them we'd take away, whether Georgia Tech or Syracuse won. I don't think either of them we'd take away, like, damn, this team is much better than we thought. But, you know, it's much worse for the losing side. And for Georgia Tech, you know, they're going to – have trouble scrapping out more wins on this schedule. Um, so, you know, that's kind of my thoughts. Um, they did get Florida State, but now we have to remember how, you know, how low everyone is on Florida State now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that win for Georgia Tech looks a lot less, a lot less attractive after the last two weeks, you know. So it'll be interesting to see what we get from Georgia Tech moving forward. But, uh, any final thoughts before we move on to the season opener for the Virginia Cavaliers? Yeah, last thing I'll say, um, I'll give – I'll end Georgia Tech on one positive note because Jameer Gibbs continues to be a bright spot, and he's a true freshman who has already broken out. He had 131 total yards between the running and the receiving game. So just a positive note to take away in Georgia Tech. I still believe in them that they're well set up for the future with Collins as their coach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the future is still bright. Jeff Sims is getting through some, you know, rookie mistakes. And like you said, Jameer Gibbs has looked phenomenal. I think he's, you know, a very bright spot moving forward with Georgia Tech. And, and even all around, I mean, the offense is – it's moving the ball. They're just not putting up points. They're turning it over in, in bad spots. And so, you know, if they can start fixing that, this team will be pretty dangerous. But moving on to Virginia and Duke – 
and what I deem as a I always just carry it over from basketball, but it kind of seems like it's a little bit of a fun football rivalry. Virginia and Duke like to you know, kind of go back and forth with each other a little bit, whatever Duke uh, football fans that are you know, very active on social media, which is not a lot of them, but it's always fun to kind of see, you know, that kind of matchup. It, it is kind of funny that uh, the last time I saw these two teams play in person was the last time Duke actually beat Virginia in 2014 in uh, Durham, but you know, Virginia, of course, pulled out a 38 to 20 victory against Duke. I think my my fun fact or fun, you know, tidbit from this game was the fact that all 58 points were scored in the south end zone for in Scott Stadium. That's that's kind of funny to think about with, you know, the fact that, you know, it was a, I believe, 10 nothing, Yeah, 10 nothing game after the first in favor of Duke. And then Virginia outscored them 17 nothing in the second. And Duke scored, outscored them again, 10 nothing in the third, and Virginia outscored them 21 nothing in the fourth. So that that end zone was getting a lot of uh, a lot of love. But how about the emergence of Lavelle Davis Jr., the true freshman from Dorchester, South Carolina, six seven, with four receptions for a hundred yards and two touchdowns. I mean, damn, Dan. I mean, that was just an incredible performance from him. Loved what I saw from the Cavaliers offensively, especially late. They kind of got Davis going. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how teams kind of combat that because that is that is hard to stop no matter who you are, no matter how good your coverage guys are because that's a big height difference. But what were your takeaways from this game, especially in Virginia's side? We'll kind of get to Duke here in a little bit. Yeah, this is true freshman um, offensive player of the year is going to be a really fun race between – Lavelle Davis, Jordan Addison, and Jameer Gibbs. I mean, three fantastic um, skill position players who are just making huge impacts for their offense. Um, but, yeah, Lavelle Davis, 6'7". I mean, Armstrong was just throwing it up to him all game. And finally, towards the end, the third, fourth quarter, it was working. And he made some phenomenal catches. He even had another diving catch, which was borderline. And it was just ruled incomplete, which I did think they made the right call, but that was a really good play too. So, um, you know, that's going to be a big piece of their offense. And he's that was his first game of his career. So that's it's going to be pretty fun to see what he could do down the line. Um, and I think you were spot on with the Brennan Armstrong assessment. Like, that's exactly what, you, what I at least expected from him. Um, you know, 269 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, a completion percentage around 60, and, you know, a couple plays in the run game. He made some bad mistakes, but he showed he's completely capable of leading an offense and allowing what will win UVA games, which is their defense. I don't think he'll lose them a lot of games. I don't think he'll win them games. I think it'll be – I think it'll be the defense that determines it. But – um. Yeah, this game really went as most Virginia Duke games have gone recently. Like, UVA fans won't walk out of this like, hey, we're so much better than we thought we were. But Duke just looked awful. I mean, seven turnovers, that is not good. No, it, it is not. And that was kind of my transitional point, so I'm glad you mentioned it. You know, credit to Virginia's defense for, of course, forcing seven turnovers. I mean, they did a phenomenal job. I mean. But, wow, Duke's offense is terrible. I mean terrible, Dan. I'm not trying to be, 
you know, I, I tried to give them credit over the last couple of weeks, you know, obviously against Boston College, they only scored six and against um, Notre Dame, was it 13 they scored, Dan? I can't remember. It was, yeah, 13. Yeah, one rushing they touchdown. Scored, they scored 20 this week against Virginia. But let's be honest, the first three points, that should never even happened. Uh, after watching the game live, I, I heard about the controversial, you know, forward progress. My man had been stopped for at least three seconds before that ball was ripped out. I believe it was Tavares Kelly who fumbled that football for Virginia. And, you know, on the opening kickoff, I think that was some, you know, that was just bad officiating on that part, especially on the opening kickoff. If a guy stopped like that, they're always so quick to blow the whistle for injuries. And they just let that thing keep going. And, of course, eventually it's going to get ripped out after seven guys are on on top of him so you know three points there I mean they had third and goal from the one yard line and lost yardage on the rush I mean they couldn't block they just they just looked bad that if, if the offense continues to go in the direction it's headed I don't think they win a, I don't think they're gonna honestly win a single ACC game this year Dan and that's a hot take but man does Duke play Florida State this year yes they do it's the last game of the season for the two so that might be our uh, bottom, our, our who wants to not finish last game, our, our second-to-last place game. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I feel like during my weekends, I'm a big Jets football fan, and I feel like I'm watching the Jets offense on both Saturdays and Sundays. Like, I mean, it, they're basically directly comparable. Like, Duke has a quarterback that comes in with some hype. He's not – doesn't look great at all, but he can't be fairly assessed at all because he has no receivers. He has an offensive line that can't protect for him. Um, so just, you know, tough going for Chase Bryce. And, you know, there's nothing about him that makes us say like, hey, this guy is one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. But at the same time, there's just no help around him. So he can't be fairly assessed. I mean, heck, Daniel Jones – offense wasn't even fantastic and he got drafted in like the top seven and ended up um being a decent quarterback or at least at this point he's a decent quarterback for the Giants so that's just um crazy to see um and and at the same time their offense is also awful in that they can't establish the run in any way shape or form like Deion Jackson and Michael Durant they had 22 rushes for 72 yards combined. I mean, UVA was strong up front, but I mean, aside from, I think Durant had one big run. I forgot whether it was, I think it was against Notre Dame. He had one big run. Aside from that, I don't think they've gotten any 20 plus runs, any big holes, any explosive plays whatsoever with the run game. So when you're not, when you can't establish the run and you don't have any pass protection or receivers to help in the passing game, I mean, you're not going to put up points and win games. That's all I got to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, you know, talking about, again, Duke had 20 points this week, which was their highest output of the season. But once again, it was all because their defense put them in good spots. I mean, the opening drive, they were only able to gain seven yards to then settle for a 25-yard field goal, and that was by the special teams forcing a turnover. They had that big play touchdown, of course, uh, from Chase Bryce to, to Marweedy for, you know, 55 yards and a touchdown. Then they go silent for the rest of the half, including, you know, they were I mean, they were looking like they were get, moving the ball, and they they gifted Virginia 
or turnover. I mean, unfortunately, Virginia did turn the – or I guess you should say fortunately for Duke, Virginia turned the ball over again on a third and long pass. I was picked off right before the end of the half there. But once again, you know, really nothing moving for them. They, they moved the ball fairly well on their opening drive in the third quarter, put up 55 yards, but then settled for a 47-yard field goal. And then their final scoring drive was a 10-yard drive, a pass complete to Noah Gray for a touchdown, when, you know, it was a turnover by Virginia that gave, you know, a poorly thrown lofted ball by Bright, or Bryce Perkins. Geez, I'm thinking 2019 now. Brandon Armstrong, that, you know, that, that scoring drive. And that's kind of what happened with the, with the uh, Notre Dame game. Notre Dame gave them short field position, and that's when Duke would score. They never actually could drive the ball down and score on their own. And it's just – it's really disappointing to see because Duke has shown no life on offense. Yeah, none at all. Um, it's just really bad. And if you're a Duke football fan, which, I mean, I praise you if you are, because, you know, um, it's so easy to just stick to basketball when you're in that fan base. But, um, I mean, it's just frustrating year after year. There's, you have a fantastic quarterback developer, fantastic quarterback, um, a fantastic head coach, and they just can't get any offense whatsoever, which is just really frustrating. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's probably the the part that always still shocks me to this day. Is, I mean, David Cutcliffe is an offensive wizard, and just recently the offense has just not been good. And it's I don't really think it's the scheme. It's just been the players executing. I I just wonder if maybe Cutcliffe has lost it, and not lost it in terms of his ability to coach, but maybe recruiting or I don't know what it is. But, I mean, yeah, even with the, you know, when they had Daniel Jones, I mean, the offense was – you know, middle of the pack in the conference. I mean, it wasn't like it was some stud offense that, you know, had this NFL, you know, first rounder in the midst. But, yeah, I mean, it's just a lot to take away. Credit to Virginia. When I saw they were down 10 nothing, Dan, I, I started to kind of wonder if uh, Virginia was going to fall uh, suit to the week one. You know, Duke was kind of fired up kind of thing. But, once I – again, I, I didn't start dialing into this game until the second quarter. Once I kind of saw how Dukes kind of got the got the game rolling, it kind of made me feel a little bit more comfortable that Virginia had to settle in. And they did a great job of doing that. You know, Virginia's got to do a little bit better of limiting that, the, that big play. But we saw the exact same thing that we saw when, you know, Virginia's defense was really clicking early in the year last year before all their depleted injuries um, in the secondary. You know, they were a bend but not break team. You know, you can't overlook the Who's this year. I will say that. Yeah, and we're not even going to get, like, a fair assessment of them until, I guess, two weeks from now or maybe even farther because, you know, they played Duke. They played them well, but Duke's not fantastic at all. Then they have Clemson, who just destroys everyone, and then they have NC State, who's – I guess that could – if they take care of business then, we could kind of solidify UVA at that um, middle of the tier at least spot. but. Um, yeah, that's all I have to say about them. Um, yeah, I guess we want to move on to Boston College, um, giving us a heart attack, but ending up taking care of business against the Sunbelt team. Yeah, so I have a little bit of, of a, a background story of why this game meant a little bit more to me than I should have. So um, this weekend I was in Texas watching some college football games in person, and uh, on, my, on my road trip down, I stopped at Texas State Stadium on Friday. And, of course, the team was long gone. They were already on their way out to Boston, you know, to go play the 
to the Eagles. And I, I go to the stadium and there's one gate open. So I go through it and they're doing COVID symptom checks. So of course, you know, I get tested and on my way in, I'm then kicked out because I'm not technically a student athlete allowed in, but the guy at the front door said it was okay for me to go inside the stadium. So I not only did I have to go through all these symptom checklist stuff and get my temperature checked, but then I didn't even get to actually go inside the stadium. I was just in the tunnel underneath the stadium. So I was really salty and wanted Boston College to blow out Texas State because I was like, you know, if you're not going to let me into the stadium, then you deserve to get pummeled this week. And of course, Boston College did not do that. You know, on our preview pod, I mentioned, you know, getting credit to myself for kind of saying this game could be closer, not expecting 24 to 21 by any means. But, you know, I had some confidence, you know, now that McBride, it was just once we found out McBride was coming back for Texas State and was cleared to play, that their offense, you know, had some ability to put up some points. But, man, Boston College's offense just <laughs> looked rough until, the, honestly, the final five minutes of the game where things just, I don't know, I think they finally realized, hey, like, this is Texas State, y'all. Yeah, they didn't look great, that's for sure. So, I mean, what are your thoughts, Dan? I don't want to drag too much on this because, you know, this is not a conference game and it's kind of hard to compare everything. But, hey, at least the ACC escaped the Sun Belt. Yeah, um, it's funny because before the game, I was completely trolling the Big 12 for um, going, what, 0-4 something against the Sun Belt and – Boston College almost made me look like a fool, but thank God they took care of business. Um, or no, I, I said that twice. They didn't really take care of business. They won the game. Um, but uh, I guess the positive was really, I mean, Hunter Long, he had another great night, 81 yards and a touchdown. He's really a walking mismatch, and I think that he connects well with Phil Dracovic. I mean, that's going to be a good connection. That'll be um, – help their offense succeed this year. I don't think they're a bottom offense, but I don't think that they're anywhere near the top either. I think they'll just um, get things done as necessary. But, you know, they prevailed. Programs always have growing pains under new coaches. You know, we've seen, like, some bad losses. We're seeing with Florida State early on with um, Norvell. We're seeing – we saw with Georgia Tech losing to the Citadel against – or, uh, the, yeah, with their – one of their first games with Jeff Collins, and this time Boston College ended up prevailing. So that's, a, I guess, a good sign. That will be the positives. But the negatives, they let Texas State offense, which is not great, succeed against them through the air. I mean, their coverage was pretty solid against Duke, like you said. You know, they didn't give up a lot of yards, but they did give, um, have some drops there. But against Texas State, that didn't really translate. Um, and David Bailey had another rough day, just 33 rushing yards. I mean, I know this is a much more passing-based offense, but Boston College team is still designed around their offensive line and their running backs. So, you know, they're going to need to get David Bailey going. I'm not giving up on it, but that's just another thing that they'll need to do. Um, so, you know, there are some positives. There are some negatives. Overall, there are some other teams in the bottom part of the conference that look pretty terrible, which caused Boston College not to move down at all. But I guess this is kind of a team where we still need more time to tell before we really make a fair assessment of them. Yeah, I think that's that's a fair, fair point. I think – 
something that frustrated me watching the game back was the fact that they still were pass heavy. I mean, it wasn't like, yes, they obviously didn't have a great job running the ball. They actually averaged the same yards per rush, 3.2, as Texas State, which is very alarming. But you've got to give this offense a chance to kind of ground and pound. I know you want to go away from being a run-oriented, you know, offense, but you have an offensive line that should be manhandling Texas State on the defensive front. Why not run the ball a little bit more? I mean, it's, it was kind of disappointing to see that, but – Three of five in the red zone, that was probably a big – I mean, that was a big key, you know, where Texas State entered the red zone three times and came away with three touchdowns. So, you know, that was something that Boston College needs to improve on. But overall, not too disappointed. I, I, I do think credit was important with the win. But overall, I mean, a win's a win. I'm glad they escaped. But like you said, they're not going to fall because of, you know – any because you know a lot of the conference looked a lot worse, but honestly, I'd almost make the argument that was the second worst performance in the ACC this week, and it included a win. So, um, you know, credit to Boston College again for pulling it out and avoiding, like you mentioned, the first-year head coach kind of sloppy performance against a team they should beat pretty drastically. But overall, a win's a win. Any other thoughts, Dan? Before we kind of move to the primetime game of the week, which was not primetime at all. <laughs> Yeah, not prime time at all. I think um, we can move on to this fifty-two to ten, just dominating performance by Miami. I mean, oh, Dan, I can't believe I'm going to ask you this question: Is the U back? The U is back. I mean, I don't. It, I mean, it still depend. It still depends what you define as being back. Like, I don't think that they're going to be a college football playoff team or any of that but I do think that there's just the excitement around the program the swagger they have the um the explosiveness they have on offense the I guess the turnover chain like it's it's all returning and there's just I guess much more hype around the Miami program and the fact that they are a very good team I mean in that respect the U definitely is back yeah, I mean, 500 yards of offense, you know, just absolutely phenomenal. You know, they had 85 plays, which, you know, was a solid number. 317 in the air, 200 rushing. rushing. I think my favorite stat – or not stat, but favorite thing I saw was it was a balanced rushing attack. Like, it wasn't just Cameron Harris rushing the ball. It wasn't just D.R. King beating Florida State with their legs. I mean – We'll get to Florida State here in a minute, Dan, but, I mean, Miami, they look good. They look very good. I mean, obviously, you know, it's the third straight week of uh, an impressive performance. Honestly, their least professed, you know, their least impressive performance was against probably the worst. Eh, actually, that's, that's an insult to UAB. Florida State's probably the worst team they've played all year. But, you know, with UAB being that 31-14 win in, in week one, but. Overall, I mean, I don't have too much I want to kind of talk about with Miami just because, you know, I think we've kind of, you know, the score kind of speaks for itself. And I'm kind of watching this game because I, I, I want to talk more personally on Florida State. But, yeah, I, I'm not going to say the U is back yet in terms of like, I mean, it depends on what your definition of the uh, is of back is. But, man, a bye week to prepare for Clemson. We're going to have an undefeated matchup unless Virginia shocks the world this coming weekend. But 
man, that's going to be fun, Dan. I mean, Miami is number eight, which I think if I remember correctly, Dan, that is what Miami was ranked when they played uh, Clemson in the East Championship game in 2017. Yeah, yeah. there's just – the top of the conference is just so much better. Like, I think – look, odds are if you take each of these matchups individually, Clemson will blow them out. But there are just so many teams that are now, like, getting good that um, I think one or two of them will compete with Clemson, make a competitive game, and we will be in for some fun – um, down the stretch in the ACC. Um, yeah, the only thing I'll say about Miami, I mean, it's just I made this kind of joke. Like, it, like they keep bringing in Nikosi Perry at the end of the game, but it's for the exact opposite reason as last year. It's not because of how bad their starting quarterback is. It's because of how good their starting quarterback is and how they're just blowing everyone out. But, I mean, just De'Ara King is just explosive as always. Very good at leading a college offense. Um, his downfield accuracy is still not fantastic, which is why, like, I'm not sure that he has NFL starter in his future. He'll definitely make it to the NFL and probably be a giraffe pick. But, I mean, as far as in the short term in his college career, his short to intermediate passing game is great. He has improved outside weapons, and Brevin Jordan is fantastic. So. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like to admit it, but there's definitely a ton of excitement around this Miami um, program this year. But on that note, not exactly the same thing on the other um, on the other Florida school in the ACC. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll we'll learn if Miami is back in their next two matchups with at Clemson and versus Pitt. So. Definitely excited to see that, but yeah, Florida State. Um, I don't know if you saw Dan, but as far as I've heard, I don't know if it's I have not seen it confirmed yet, but I have heard that Tamarion Terry is going to opt out the remainder of the season. Is that true? Have you been hearing that as well? I did not hear anything of that. I saw something interesting that he was not listed as the definite starter on the depth chart which really fascinated me I don't know if one of them caused the other but that is I mean of course I've been recording this podcast and off the internet for the last hour or so but that's I mean the the news I heard about Sermon Terry was you know it was from yesterday so I'm reading over right now I'm scrolling through the Twitter sphere on the Noel side of things and it sounds like he was limited due to injury last week and there is a rumor he might opt out because of the injury and just kind of how this season for Florida State has pretty much solidified itself as a wash for 2020. But I don't blame him. I yeah, mean, I don't either. But a superstar in a um, team that's just, and especially an offense that's just absolutely atrocious. So, I mean, I feel like the more he plays, the more his NFL draft stock's going to go down. I hate to put it that way, but I don't. Yeah, blame I mean, him. especially. Especially since he's he's risking injury and is really not getting the opportunity to be thrown the football. I mean, James Blackman's getting less time to throw the ball than I get, you know, in the morning getting ready. I mean, it's 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 incredible just how how he's running for his life. I mean, I'm not going to blame James Blackman that much. I know a lot of people are saying, "Oh, he's just not good." Imagine trying to throw the ball 
down the field against some pretty good teams when you've got point one second to do something with the with make a decision. I mean, this guy has just been, you know, they've been sloppy. I'm not just saying that, oh, it's, you know, it's the offensive line only, but I mean, just unbelievable how bad this game has been. You know, it it was kind of promising to be honest, how this game kind of got rolling. I mean, the first 10 minutes, it's seven to three, you know, both teams had only had one drive, but you know, both, you know, Florida State moved the ball well, 14 plays, 73 yards. Of course, they had to settle for a field goal, which is never a good sign. But, you know, part of me is thinking, hey, Florida State might, you know, hang around, keep it around a 14-point game. No, sir. Florida State just, they look awful. And I thought for sure they'd fix things over the bye week, and I was wrong. Yeah. I mean, I think they do. Like there are enough teams that aren't that also aren't looking good that Florida State does win a conference game or two, and I hope they take care of Jacksonville State. I mean, heck, that's a team that lost by like thirty to Austin P, and we all saw what Austin P did against Pitt. But um, yeah, that is just. I mean, I'm at a loss of words. Like Florida State has fallen a lot over the last decade, even like it's. It's been a steady regression, and then this year it's just huge downfall. Um, I mean, the future with Norvell, I haven't completely given up on him as a coach, but, like, 2020, uh, Florida State is at an all-time low, I got to say. Yeah, and I, I, I think that, you know, if you want a good read, Dan, go through some of the beat writers from Florida State. And read the articles about just how far they're falling. I mean, there, there's a lot of, you know, hearsay and everything like that. But it sounds like Jimbo Fisher left this program in a lot worse state than people saw, you know, behind the scenes with just recruiting, like kids they were bringing in failing out of school. Or, you know, I mean, if you watched Last Chance U, they had stud, stud players that were constantly being shown in that, in that show because they were committing different crimes or – failing out I mean Jimbo was kind of grabbing the best athletes but then you know not really taking care of the uh academic slash you know non-football side of things and you know it left Florida State in a, in a disaster and then they've had coaches that have been failing have failed to coach up the talent that they've had so I mean Florida State I mean think about it. they've won a national title in the last 10 years less than that it was seven years ago I mean they it's, it's, and they were in the inaugural college football playoff. I, I hope you're right, Dan. I hope Florida State needs at least one or two wins this year for me to feel, you know, confident moving forward. Because if not, who knows what we get from 2021. But any other thoughts before we move on to the final game of the of, of that weekend? Or do you want to just kind of continue off my Florida State rant? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting also about the depth chart that I just saw, besides the Tamori on Terry thing, is Chubba Purdy seems available next week. He's listed on that um, personnel, but not as a starter. I mean, I think obviously you can't completely blame James Blackman for everything, but I think they need a spark and out of a true freshman and some kind of hope for the future. So, I mean, I'm not saying that they're trying to deceive you, but I would not be surprised to see Chubba Purdy very soon um, playing as QB1. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with the with the with the Purdy decision is it's not that it's too soon. 
but it is too soon, especially with the fact that, and it's not too soon in the sense of like Florida State, you know, doesn't need a spark. It's too soon in the sense of, again, I, I'm not bl- kind of like how I felt with Tommy DeVito too. I wasn't necessarily blaming his performance on just him being a bad quarterback. Same way I feel with James Blackman. Is he a great quarterback? Absolutely not. Is he a good quarterback? Eh, but he's serviceable. But the issue is he's not getting an opportunity to really do anything because he's running for his life every time or getting hit every time he throws the ball. Or a couple times, especially in the Georgia Tech game, hit receivers that were open and they dropped the ball. So I think that, you know, Jacksonville State, I'm sure we're going to see him at some point. Hopefully it's in garbage time when Florida State's up a couple scores. But, you know, if I'm Florida State, I pump the brakes on it just yet. I mean, you look at Florida State's schedule moving forward. You know, obviously Jacksonville State, but – at Notre Dame and versus North Carolina. I don't really know if I want, you know, Purdy's first, you know, big time game at Florida State being against one of the better defenses in the conference on prime time on NBC against fifth ranked Notre Dame. Last thoughts, Dan, before we go to NC State and Virginia Tech? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I, I, it sucks that to have such a big brand be so bad in this conference, but I do think that despite what the perspective is, the conference is improving as a whole. So, um, you know, it's it's tough, though. But I guess let's move on to, um, you know, really, I guess a really encouraging sign because Virginia Tech did not have a lot of players and they completely dominated NC State. Yeah, I mean – this game, of course, shocked me in the score. Looking back and watching it, I'm not trying to dismantle because Virginia Tech fans, of course, and I don't blame them, are very, very excited. But after what they saw, I mean, you're that, what, 20? Was it 23 starters? Dan, or not 23 starters, but 23 players. And I think th- three or four of them were starters of some sort. So, I mean, granted, they really weren't without a lot of starters. It was more their depth that took a big hit. Of course, you know, the main piece missing was Hendon Hooker which, honestly, we kind of saw that Braxton Burmeister is a very serviceable and very solid backup quarterback. I mean, even Quincy Patterson looked pretty good late in the game as well. So Virginia Tech's quarterback room, in pretty good shape. You know, I'm a little concerned because we don't really know what's going on with Hooker because, you know, we all thought it was COVID-related. And supposedly he, he, from what I heard, he – had finished his quarantine period the day before the game, but they didn't want to suit him up because he hadn't been practicing the last two weeks. So they kind of just had him, you know, of course, be, um, you know, someone that was a support guy on the sidelines. So that's good. But, of course, you know, that rumor that was going around, which still hasn't been confirmed, about someone having a non-COVID, what was found during COVID testing, serious medical condition, is still roaming, rummaging, rummaging around. The guys that played were ready to play, and shout-out to them for that. I mean, they looked phenomenal defensively. Devon Diablo looked good. Dax Hall, I feel, did a pretty good job getting after the quarterback. But what are your thoughts on Virginia Tech's performance? We'll get to NC State in a minute. I have some pieces I want to talk about with NC State. But what are your thoughts on the Hokies' 21-point victory over the Wolfpack? Yeah, I think it's just a great start for them. I mean, it's really encouraging to see. Obviously, it's very discouraging to see the potential – um, rumors about headed hooker, but it's encouraging to see that they can be down to QB two, QB three, and still in very capable hands, which I don't think around the ACC or even around the country that there are a lot of programs that could say the same. Um, 
But, yeah, they were just offensively super efficient in every single way. Like, the numbers – the total numbers weren't eye-popping, but, I mean, just look at the efficiency. Like, Herbert had six rushes for 104 yards and a touchdown. Patterson and Burmeister combined for 11 for 17, 181 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I did talk about James Mitchell in the preview about how I think he's going to be a fantastic piece for them, and he was also had a really nice game. Three catches for 68 yards. I think he's going to have a huge year. And um, not only did he impress as a receiving tight end, but he looked like he was a key blocker on a couple of plays too. And um, Luke Tenuta, the right tackle, I mean, I, I had no idea, but I was looking at the grades and he had an elite game, like by far the best offensive line performance in the conference. So I got to – the stuff you don't see, I got to give credit to him. But um, as for NC State, I guess we'll get into that. Like, I think I'm not so low on them. I mean, look, they're not one of the better teams of the conference, but I simply think they were just dominated by a good team. Yeah, I mean, I think what we saw out of Virginia Tech was something that, you know, was unexpected per se, but again, from what we expected going into the year, it's not unexpected. So it was one of those things where this is kind of what I saw happening before we knew, you know, if this was like, you know, when we were doing our initial preseason previews, you know, back in the end of August, this is kind of what I saw, the Tech winning by, you know, anywhere between 14 to 20 in that range. Of course, they won by 21, but, you know, after what we saw with NC State against uh, Wake Forest, and then, of course, what we saw, you know, with Virginia Tech and all their COVID cases, uh, you know, it changed our perspective. But, you know, in, in the end, Virginia Tech proved that they are uh, worthy of being a ranked team. Of course, they're not ranked now in the new AP poll. Technically, they fell out of the top 25, even though they, they won pretty convincingly. But, of course, that includes adding pretty much every conference back into college football. But overall, I mean, the Hokies looked, looked good. I mean – a lot of things they need to kind of clean up. They weren't great on third down. They were two of nine on third down. Um, didn't do a great job in the red zone. They were good, but not great. I think they were three of five, I believe, in their, no, four of six. So, you know, again, some things to improve on, but didn't turn the ball over, which is kind of what we expected. You know, obviously, Hen Hooker didn't play, but that was my big credit to Hendon Hooker was, of course, the fact he never turned the ball over or at least not never, but hardly ever did uh, when last season for the Hokies. So, again, great performance here by the by the Hokies. It'll be interesting to see how it rolls forward. Hopefully they don't sleepwalk against Duke. I don't think they will, considering what happened last year when they played Duke. But um, overall, I mean, NC State is kind of proven they are what they are. Um, I'm a little concerned about the defense. But once again, I mean, that's back-to-back weeks where NC State had pick sixes uh, against them you know obviously Hawkman threw it against Wake and actually threw it against you know Virginia Tech as well so they've got to eliminate those moving forward for sure you know and of course it's not going to get any easier for them when they kick off on noon on the UC Network this coming weekend at Pitt so I mean we'll, we'll kind of see what NC State's about against Pitt offensively especially because defensively they've given up technically 45 points each game or was it 42 against Wake? I can't remember the number for Wake, but I think it was 45. But, you know, I, I no red flags here with NC State, but, you know, they, they definitely kind of ruined that positive momentum we kind of took away from their win against Wake, which also has me a little bit concerned about 
is Wake Forest actually bad this year? Yeah, um, the thing I worry about the most is that they um, simply don't really have a good passing game. I mean, they fell behind early, and how they won against Wake last week was their um, running game, and their offensive line still opened up those holes, and damn night, um, and Ricky Person still ended up um, being able to hit him and get some nice runs out of it, but they can't be relied upon if you're going to be down by 17 points plus in the first quarter, you're going to need to have a passing game. And I mean, they're facing a strong Virginia tech secondary to begin with, but it's, I mean, we, we didn't expect it at all. And it's kind of proved to be true. Like they, they don't have a quarterback that could get these talented receivers, the ball. Um, I actually think Leary looked pretty solid in garbage time. I mean, it was garbage time, but. I just remember he did win the job in camp. So I'm actually expecting Devin Leary to be the starter going down the line, at least for the next game. I mean, there's absolutely no sustainability with that position whatsoever. So you never know what's going to happen, but we'll see. Um, I mean, how do you feel now about how many quarterbacks NC state will have this year? Do you think it'll just be Leary and Hawkman or do you think we might see, a third or a fourth in there. I don't know. Cause here, here's my thing, Dan. I mean, I think there, I think we might see three to four. And the only reason why I say that is obviously we've only seen Hockman and Leary so far, but the next three games for NC state, they're playing teams that are defensive focused. They've got Pitt, they've got Virginia and they've got Duke. So those are three teams that, you know, granted Pitt is the best team of those three teams. And Duke, of course, we kind of talked about not looking so hot. But, you know, Duke defensively is still going to get after you. They're still going to force turnovers. They're still going to be, you know, in your face. And they just offensively aren't, have not been clicking. But, you know, again, I think Wake Forest's offense is pretty good. But I was quite alarmed with how many points he gave up against Wake Forest's offense. Virginia Tech's offense we knew was going to be good. But without Hennon Hooker, I didn't think they were going to be 45 points good. So, you know, I guess 38, because I think there was a pick six there. But, you know, I just – I think that – especially if you look at the schedule, you know, they have back-to-back weeks in November where it's Florida State and Liberty. I could see where that point – if, you know, they haven't really been sold on Hockman or, you know, um, Larry, they might go to the, you know, the secondary options there, which, of course, I'm kind of drawing a blank now because I haven't looked at it in a pretty good minute. But – yeah, so their options what else would be, you know, you could go with Harvey there if you want, Ben Finley. Ben Finley would probably be, in my opinion, that third option to start off. But, you know, they, I, could, I could definitely see them kind of moving to that. Because if they were playing, you know, let's say Liberty this week, I'd be a little bit less hesitant. Or Florida State this week, because, you know, you would think they're going to still let Leary and Hawkman go back and forth. But if they can't kind of impress against, you know, Pitt, Virginia, and Duke, they might say, all right, let's throw a third quarterback into the mix. Like yeah. these guys aren't just cutting it time to throw a third option out there. So I don't think you'll see a third quarterback for a week or two at least, but it wouldn't shock me midway through the year late there in November when they got back to back weeks with Liberty and NC or Liberty and Florida state where you might just see, you know, back. And then they also got Syracuse and Georgia tech in their last two games. So really the last four weeks are games where I could see, you know, winnable games for NC state, but if they're not sold on a quarterback, they might give these guys a shot. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with that. Um, I do think that there is 
a little bit of, um, I guess, potential is the word going forward with Leary. But, I mean, it was garbage time. There's not a lot of excitement, and they're going to need to get the pass game going because they have, they have solid receivers too. So, um, anyway, um, is it time to move on to our um, kind of accolades of the week in our power rankings? Yeah, I think we should move on to it. Um, you know, in terms of our offensive player of the week, Dan, who do you got? So there are a couple options here. I actually went with the um, true freshman Lavelle Davis, just made fit several fantastic catches, 101 yards and two touchdowns. He's going to be really one of the guys to watch this year in that UVA offense and six, seven, just a lot of hype. So I went, I mean, there are a couple of um, receivers and running backs crowding around that 100 yards range, but I went with the guy that made the most like impressive catches and kind of plays after the catch. Yeah, so I actually have a tie this week. I know that's probably cheating, but I just can't decide on the two. My first one's going to be Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech. Six attempts for 104 yards rushing and a touchdown, averaging 17 yards a carry. Not a bad day. Also had two receptions out of the backfield for 46 yards. So, you know, that's a 150-plus uh, yard day of total offense. So, Pretty solid first performance for him in a Virginia Tech uniform. And my second, and I can't believe I'm saying this, because he numbers-wise, maybe not great, but Tommy DeVito just took an absolute step forward this week, really needed this week. I uh, was impressed with, you know, 193 yards passing. I think another, if I remember correctly, 50 on the ground. Let me see here. Yeah, sorry, 23 on the ground. But, Again, he averaged 5.8 yards per carry, so as 8.1 yards per attempt. Had two touchdowns, so especially with what we've seen from Syracuse the last couple of weeks, I think that, you know, I'm kind of giving him a, a higher performance grade than, you know, necessarily he would if this team was not struggling so much offensively. So I kind of had a tie there on that front. Yeah, that's fair. Um, defensive was kind of a little bit of an easier decision for me. I mean, I went with Patrick Jones, just three sacks. Uh, there was nobody else. I mean, there were some good performers on all the levels, but he was the guy that really stood out um, getting pressures all game. And they were they were triple teaming him by the fourth quarter. So I definitely had to go with Patrick Jones for my defensive MVP. Yeah, so I actually went a little bit different than you. I went Brenton Nelson for Virginia. Two interceptions, uh, two tackles as well. And honestly, he just did a great job of just kind of clogging the middle of the field there defensively. He did a great job of kind of locking down his guy on the outside. I think he, he may not have had the, the high statistic number minus those two interceptions. He wasn't like, you know, having seven or eight tackles or any sacks or anything like that. But overall, he just did a great job of just really not getting burned. And again, two interceptions is a pretty solid day for anybody. So shout out to Brendan Nelson there. I'm going to give it to for him and kind of, you know, especially in the spots he did it with Virginia. All right. Um... Obviously, if you've been a follower of my account, I mean, on the Virginia team, Brett Nelson is one of my really players that I think is underrated. So I really like to see him get attention from um, other people. So that's nice to see. Uh, but yeah, team of the week. I went with Virginia Tech. Um, I thought it was just, I mean, there were a lot of teams that had some impressive 
performances this week, but I thought just given the fact that they were missing their starting quarterback, they were missing their their um, starting corner, and they were missing 20 or so other players, I mean, it was just super impressive how they dominated. Uh, it was either them or Miami, but just basically the tiebreaker was the U did it to essentially a worse Florida State team and the fact that Virginia Tech was missing so many players. Yeah, so I had a feeling you were going to go Virginia Tech here. So Virginia Tech probably would get my my vote if I felt like, you know, confidently that it would it'd be, you know, I'd be the one on the side of this. But I'm actually going to go with Syracuse. Again, I just I, – I wasn't expecting – I mean, again, I, I said in the pod, I, I could see Syracuse coming out and really giving Georgia Tech some run for their money. I had more, more confidence in Syracuse beating Georgia Tech than Georgia Tech blowing out Syracuse. But watching Syracuse pretty much just control the entire game against Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech was just impressive to me and more much needed not saying that if Virginia you know Virginia Tech you know would have lost to NC State that it would not have been hard for the Hokies but it's a little bit easier with Virginia Tech if you say oh we lost to a pretty good NC State team especially considering what they did against Wake Forest with you know 20 some guys out including our starting quarterback then it would be for Syracuse to lose to a Georgia Tech team that was dismantled by UCF the week before so I'm going to give it to give it to Syracuse just based purely off of the fact that they needed it more than really any other team in the conference this week. So in that case, I'm going to give it to to Syracuse as my team of the week. Yeah, I mean that is just huge for them because we were as down on Syracuse as they were as we were on uh, Florida State, and they, I guess it's really a statement win for them. But um, I guess how do you want to do this power rankings? I really think that we kind of agree on the tiers and that the order might differ a little bit. So aside from one being Clemson, which I don't even have to ask, what do you have two through six? So two through six for me, and I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I don't know if your tier has number two being separate from three through six, but I actually have Clemson on a tier of its own. And then I have Notre Dame as the two seed just with a, a little bit bigger gap than the three for six. But if you want to group them together, it makes sense because there's a drop-off from one to two that's drastic. But two would be Notre Dame for me, so they didn't move. Miami stays at three as well for me this week. The difference is Pitt now jumps to number four, leaving UNC, who was there at four at that point. Five goes Virginia Tech, and six is UNC, so UNC fell two. Virginia Tech moved from, from seven to five in my power rankings this week. So, again, that two through six is Notre Dame, Miami, Pitt, Virginia Tech, and UNC. Yeah, so for me, I really thought two through six was a crapshoot. And, like, I had to move down both North Carolina, who didn't do anything wrong, but just simply didn't – simply had a neutral outcome. They didn't play. And other teams just look fantastic. So that's why I had to move them down. And then it, this really pained me to do. I had to move Pitt down after beating a pretty solid team. So there's just so much traffic up top here. But my two through six ends up being two Notre Dame, three Virginia Tech, four Miami, five North Carolina, and six Pitt. But um, well, so I've got to ask two questions for you, Dan, real quick, before we move on to seven through 15. but. 
why not that it matters it is it is a fair crapshoot but i'm just curious like because my logic here is what i've seen you do not necessarily and i think you're on the same idea like it's not what i expect to have happen you know so i think you know based off of what you have you had virginia tech above miami do you think virginia tech beating nc state by 21 is more impressive than miami beating florida state by 42 louisville by 20 some and of course a 17 point victory over uab i'm just curious why you would have virginia tech over miami as well as why you have pit over UNC considering you know UNC only has their game against um Syracuse to talk about where of course you know on our front with with Pitt we've seen a a good a good win against Louisville a convincing win against Syracuse again not great and of course that just blowout victory over Austin P that one makes a little bit more sense if you genuinely think that just UNC is the better team and they did beat Syracuse by more than Pitt did so you can use that argument as well but I'm mainly more curious about Virginia Tech being over Miami right now yeah so I guess mine are a little bit more of a projection like I just I'm it's not even a projection it's just like how good do I think these teams are and I'm using I'm not going purely based off of the games I'm using the games to kind of guide me a little bit so like I I've been I'm kind of going by the philosophy. I guess I kind of contradict myself a little bit by moving North Carolina down, but I'm just, if you didn't do anything wrong, if you didn't do anything to prove that you should move down, you're not going to move down. So um, that's why I have Virginia Tech over Miami. I just think that they didn't do anything to prove that they weren't um, the better team. And I initially in the beginning of the season thought that they were the better team. So why do I, um, why would I switch them? Either way, I'm, I mean, two through six, but especially two through four, just really fantastic and much better than the top of the conference in the last couple of years. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear my cat in the background here, Dan. He's like, in, he's being a little bit of a vocal guy right now, but I, I can, I can tell he's not happy with your, with your decision, being that he's a orange cat that I originally adopted when I was living in South Florida. So he's disappointed <laughs> in your choice of Miami over. Uh, or excuse me, Virginia Tech over Miami right now. But I, I, I can see that, and I can completely understand your, your side of things. I guess I've always been on the power rankings is what you've done for me now, not what I expect from you later. So, I mean, heck, if Virginia Tech continues what they're doing and then gets healthy and then Hooker shows up and ends up being, you know, the guy that I think he's going to be, <laughs> Virginia Tech at three was, will be no debate. So I, I like that choice, but – We'll bounce back to – you want to go 7 through 10 here, Dan, 7 through 11. What are your thoughts? So tell me what your 7 and 8 are. I just want to hear that because I feel like that's just a tier on its own, in my opinion. Yeah, I think 7 and 8. I have Louisville 7, Virginia 8. Uh, Virginia, that'd be staying the same. Louisville just moved from 6 to 7. I don't think they should drop much for, you know, being competitive with Pitt. So I, I agree, though. Your 7 and 8 is is a little bit more of a – of a drastic because my nine, I won't say it just yet, but my nine will kind of come in as a shock, especially considering where they were last week. Yeah, so I completely agree. I have seven and eight, Louisville and Virginia, no movement there. I mean, that's just the very, very tiny middle of the conference that we're going to have this year. But um, nine through 15 is another crapshoot, and it's not because they're all looking fantastic. It's because we can't make up our minds because of how bad – or how many negative signs each of these programs have shown. But um, I'll let you go first. What's your 9 through 15? Yeah, so 9, which is coming in hot, is Syracuse. Um, I had them at 15 last week. 
Um, I think the reason why I bumped them the nine is kind of the same argument I just kind of made with Miami of what I've seen from them. Looking at Syracuse, they have, you know, less than 20-point losses to both my number four and number six team in my power rankings with Pitch and UNC. So I'm kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt for playing better teams early in the year slash not getting absolutely rolled over. I mean, really, it took the fourth quarter for UNC to finish off Syracuse. Pitt and Syracuse was pretty close till the fourth quarter as well. So, and of course, Syracuse beating Georgia Tech. So I moved them to nine, which I felt wrong doing, but considering who they played and what they've done, I was most impressed with that. 10 was Boston College, which actually they fell again, losing or not losing, but beating Texas State by three feels like a loss. So I think that's kind of more of where my head's at. And again, the win over Duke looks a little less attractive after what we saw from Duke for the third straight week against Virginia. 11's NC State, which is actually a fallback of one as well, just because of the fact that they were, you know, um, battling on that front. So, you know, I, I think that that's a good spot for them. 12 is Georgia Tech, which is, again, it's only a slide back of one. Uh, 13 is Wake, which is actually – a staying the same for them 14's Duke they stayed the same and the only reason why they stayed the same was I dropped Florida State from 12 to 15 and I hate putting Florida State at 15 because of all the talent on that roster but there's just no life in Florida State and I'm seeing a very similar case of what we saw with the 2018 Louisville Cardinals where they were better than what their record showed but you know when a team quits a team quits and I'm starting to feel like Florida State has quit man yeah, I, I agree. Um, I actually have them 14, so I think Duke just looks even worse. But, I mean, it's 14 and 15. It's a, it doesn't really matter. They're both just showing no positive signs whatsoever. Um, and the thing is, everybody looks so bad that Wake Forest, by just not playing a game, moved up three spots to nine. Like, that's just – that just speaks to how bad – the bottom of the conference played this week. So I had Wake at nine, moving up three spots. Um, Boston College, by being Texas State and not completely crapping the bed, moved up to 10. NC State staying at 11. Syracuse, by taking care of business, granted it was against a team that ends up being ranked lower than them, but beating Georgia Tech by 17, they'll move up to 12. Um, Georgia Tech, just ahead of Florida State because they beat them at 13, Florida State at 14, and Duke at 15. But, um, I mean, conference is very different if we're talking about the top and the bottom. And um, we have a very small middle of the conference. That's really my story of this week. Yeah, I, I, I think a good analogy is the ACC is a skyscraper where we have, some very, we have a very tall ceiling and a very low floor. So it, it's frustrating to kind of think that because I thought for sure this year was going to be very competitive where we'd have – we'd be arguing for hours on our three through 12. But really, I mean, <laughs> we, we have our debates at the top and our debates at the bottom, but the middle is just, you know, we both agree it's basically just two teams that were kind of like good, not great, but not bad either, and that's Virginia and Louisville for now. So um, with that being said – um, Dan, I appreciate it. Stay safe. And I uh, can't wait to talk some ACC previews here in a couple days since we're a, a day behind on our review.